Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. New Year to you. Uh, I'm coming to you remotely, obviously. Um, over the holidays, uh, I was around someone who later tested positive, and so uh, just out of an abundance of caution, uh, we're uh, doing things this way. And uh, I think it is a good reminder that we're not out of this yet, and we still have a ways to go, and we still want to continue to be thoughtful and careful uh, with the people around us. So uh, glad to be coming to you, and a Happy New Year to you. Um, I certainly think uh, as we say hello to 2021, um, maybe we also ought to say goodbye to 2020. Um, Maybe we want to say good riddance to 2020. Uh, It deserves maybe a raspberry award of some kind, Uh, maybe uh, a rotten tomato. Um, I guess less rotten tomatoes is worse than more rotten tomatoes. Uh, so maybe we give it fewer than more, but uh, somehow to, to to lay to rest that uh, 2020 has finally come and gone and praying for a much, much better 2021. And I think as we think about that, we're introducing this brand new series um, called Rooted in Hope. And uh, we want to worship around and teach around and think around Romans chapter eight, uh, almost exclusively for this whole series. Uh, So as you think about that, and as we gather today, we're talking specifically today about the hope of freedom over failure. And I want to jump into some thoughts about that and to about how it works. And before we kind of jump away from 2020, uh, maybe there's a couple of things uh, to admit about this past year and about the reality that goes with it. Um, The first thing is I, I... I'm experiencing the law of diminishing returns. Um, maybe you are too. And by that, what I mean is it seems like the less that I have uh, been asked to do through quarantine and, and you know, being safe at home and all of that, the less I feel like I'm able to do, the less I feel like I want to do, the less I feel like I'm inspired to do. Um, And so as we say goodbye to 2020, maybe we ought to be honest about that, that there is some law of diminishing returns at work in you and it's at work in me. Uh, And uh, and I feel it. I feel more lethargic. I feel less efficient. My brain's not quite as sharp as it was, I think, maybe a year ago, or maybe I'm kidding myself. But it feels like uh, I'm just kind of, you know, uh, experiencing the law of diminishing returns. Anybody else? Secondly, I have to admit that while I was stringing together all of those good years, you know, normal years uh, where there was freedom and the opportunity to go uh, travel, hang out with friends, have a life, really not giving a lot of thought to the privilege of the normalcy of my life. Uh, I have to admit that inside of all of that, I probably didn't grow a lot. I probably had a certain level of complacency uh, going on. And I think Paul is talking about that. Uh, he addresses it directly in Romans 5, 1 through 5, uh, where he says these words, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering 
produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint or put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit uh, who has been given to us. And so Paul says it is in hardship that we really start to cultivate this reality. In fact, he takes it a step further that the trials produce perseverance and patience and all those things. And ultimately they lead us to hope. But then he goes on to say, when things are going well and the circumstances are not really demanding of you, you don't really need hope. Hope is what is born when things are not going well, when the circumstances are tough. And so he states it very specifically in Romans eight twenty four. for in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. And so I, I think we ought to at least say goodbye to 2020 with some respect to the fact that it has challenged us in new ways. It has uh, put us in spaces with one another and with our culture and with our politics and with our world that uh, has demanded something of us, something of our faith, something of our investment in hope. And I do believe that as we explore these next few weeks, um, the biblical call is for you and I to be full of hope, to be hopeful. And so that's what we're thinking about. Maybe you remember this. When you were growing up, uh, I was growing up, um, and maybe some of our kids still today, uh, there was a little book that we all read, a little storybook uh, called The Little Engine That Could. Uh, that fable has been around. That's a 20th century fable. Uh, it was first published as early as 1906. Uh, most of us, the golden book that we all read was published in 1956, the version of the story that we're familiar with. And it featured a little chain, a little engine, uh, and it was the little engine that could. Uh, maybe you remember that. Uh, it was sort of uh, ingrained in us, I think, growing up, uh, that uh, the little engine, uh, you know, was saying to itself, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. And so I think a lot of us grew up believing that somehow thinking we could equated to being able to. And I know that, you know, uh, the, the lesson in the fable was just to teach us about optimism and, 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 and being, you know, positive and trying and attempting and applying ourselves. And you never know what you can do if you don't think you can. But I think we took that and culturally turned it into something else. Uh, and maybe I shouldn't speak in such broad terms. I feel like I was given the idea that uh, I was supposed to be like the little engine. I think I can. And I always think I can. And that somehow in thinking I can, I'm going to be able to accomplish that. And I thought, you know, I think for a lot of us, we grew up believing that if I think I can, if I think I can in relationship to my career, if I think I can in relationship uh, to my own personal satisfaction and fulfillment, if I think I can in terms of my own spirituality, if I think I can in terms of relationships, uh, if I think I can in terms of uh, navigating a pandemic and living through, you know, stay at home uh, orders and all the things that have happened to us in the in the last few months and are continuing to happen to us. If I just think I can, then I can. And I think that has ingrained itself in a way that maybe we've started to say something more than just, I think I can. Maybe we've started to say things like, I ought to be, I ought to be, 
I ought to be. I ought to be able to do this. I ought to be able to handle this. I ought to be able to cope better. I ought to be able to handle it better. And then I think because of somehow that mentality working in us, we, we move ahead into another little phrase that runs in our head. What's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? And I think if you just stop for a moment and you thought about how you're feeling right now, how the emotions are running in you in this COVID season and this first Sunday of 2021, uh, isn't, is there a little voice in you that's saying, I ought to be doing better than this? I, I, I bought into the mentality that if I think I can, then I ought to. And if I'm not coping well, then what's wrong with me? And I think it's maybe time for a shift in focus. I think that whole idea, maybe from a biblical perspective, should be sort of pushed in a different direction. I think that little engine mentality speaks into something that's going on in our culture and that we've been taught, and that is that success uh, is the enemy of failure, that that somehow failure is not a part of any normal existence, that, that we're designed to be successful and we ought to be successful. And I think we've actually turned that into a theology. God wants us to be successful. God only wants us to be successful. That we start to believe that if we're struggling, if the world is struggling, if we're struggling, that it's an anomaly, that it can't be what God wants. God never wants people to struggle. He never wants people to go through hardship. He never wants people to go through anything that's difficult. And yet, scripturally speaking, it is in these difficult days that we learn the lessons of life, that we learn what it means to move forward, that we search and find perseverance and faith and strength and endurance, and patience, uh, all of those virtues growing out of being rightly connected. Um, and so we regard failure as, a, as our enemy. Uh, we regard hardship as our enemy. Uh, none of us wants to go through it. Failure is an intruder. Um, it happens to me when I'm not spiritually vigilant enough, and God uses failure to put me back on track, to correct me, to get me back on the path of success. And, and here's the thing that's so ironic about that. that. That is completely opposite of the biblical understanding. It's not what happens to the characters in the Bible. It's not what goes on in the story. That in the difficulty, it is about God's faithfulness in the difficulty. It's about how God sustains people through all of the elements of life, that life is full of these things. These things are elements of being alive. You cannot be alive and simply experience one half of your existence, happiness, contentment, peace. But instead, that these are all a part of life, struggle, growth, uh, digging deep, finding hope. All of these things are a part of God's design of life and care and that he promises to be with us in it, to teach us to be dependent on him. And yet in each one of us, there's, a, there's something in us. I think I can. I ought to be. What's wrong with me? And it seems like maybe there should be a a shift in our focus back to a much more biblical idea. The idea that failure is an affront, a punishment somehow from God is, uh, 
it's not how the wise folks uh, of our culture and world have spoken to us. Winston Churchill has these famous lines, success consists of going from failure to failure without loss of enthusiasm. And then this one you've probably heard, success is not final, failure is not fatal. It is the courage to continue that counts. And then the last one from Winston Churchill, if you're going through hell, keep going. If you're going through hell, keep going. I think that's good advice. Lao Tzu made this statement. Failure is the foundation of success and the means by which it is achieved. How does that fit in with your philosophy? How does that fit in with what's happening to you right now, spiritually, emotionally, relationally, uh, in the circumstances? Is that something that you believe or do you believe something completely different? I think I can. I ought to be. What's wrong with me? Failure is the foundation of success and the means by which I achieve. But Robert Kennedy said, only those who dare to fail greatly can ever achieve greatly. Zig Ziglar, it's not how far you fall, but how far you bounce that counts. And finally, J.M. Barry, we are all failures. At least the best of us are. And I love that. I think refocusing our relationship to failure and allowing ourselves to experience freedom from that whole mentality, from the weight that we carry. I think we need a shift of focus. And I think what we deem most valuable needs to have a makeover. It's certainly not shocking that the Bible has a different mindset, that in fact, it's diametrically opposed to this idea. That, that suffering and struggle and difficulty is a part of our existence. And in fact, I, I think if you stop and you think about it, the biblical message in some way, while we're going around like the little engine that could saying, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can, I think somewhere in there, the biblical message is, oh, no, you can't. Oh, no, you can't. At least not by yourself. And I think that's part of what's going on in this process. And so while the scripture continues to say to us, you're not self-sufficient, it also says you should not be self-condemning and you not, should, should not be self-loathing. That somewhere in there, there is a balance of what it means to think together and to be strong together. To that little engine that could, I think Paul speaks directly, Romans seven fifteen. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate to do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good as it is no longer I myself who do it, but it's sin living in me. For I know the good itself does not dwell in me, that is in my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing." And so to the little engine that could, he says, the little engine is often doing things it shouldn't be doing. It's often doing things that it didn't intend to do. It's often doing things it doesn't want to do, that it doesn't even understand why it's doing it. And so into that, then he also follows that up. He doesn't leave us in this helpless place. But then in 724, he writes, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then I myself, in my mind, am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, I'm a slave to the law of sin. And so he's just openly discussing that reality that, that you know, we're not the little engine that could. And we really weren't even created in a way that we ought to be. 
And there really isn't anything wrong with us. It's just that we need to refocus and we need to think a little differently. With all of that in mind, now I think we're ready to read our passage, Romans 8, uh, chapter one through or chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, because now I think we have a setting in which this really starts to resonate. So, so here, with all of those arguments that Paul has created up to this moment, now listen, Romans 8, 1, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit." So, so Paul begins this argument by saying that hope doesn't come from our great circumstances, our great possibilities. It doesn't come from our self-sufficiency. It doesn't come from our self-confidence. It doesn't come because we think we can. Hope comes because we have a shift in our focus about the truth, about life, and about the universe, and about God, and about who we are, and about who he is. And he contrasts two ways of thinking about the world and about life and about difficulty and about circumstances. One, he calls the way of thinking that is the law of sin and death. And the other way of thinking is the law of the spirit. And so if you'd allow me this morning, just very briefly here on the very first Sunday of 2021 to jump into this and to just share with you some contrasts between what I think Paul is teaching us about the law of sin and death versus the law of the spirit. Maybe we have a shift of focus as we start and launch into 2021. Number one, the law of sin and death says, get it right. The law of sin and death says, get it right. I think we're all trying to get it right. I think we're all trying to live in a way that we think we're supposed to. We're we're trying to have an expectation that we not only get it right, but that we ought to get it right. And then if we don't get it right, there's something wrong with us. We're trying to get it right. But Paul says at the very beginning, I can't do it. The rightness of the law was was spoiled because of my weakness, because of the weakness of the flesh. I can see in the law how it gets it all right. I can see the idealism of it. I can can get it. Something in me says, yes, let's do that. But there's something in me that, that keeps me. And the law of sin and death holds me in this place of trying to get it right, 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 trying to get it right. That the rightness of the law is rendered powerless by my weakness. So we ought to stop pretending. Stop being so afraid of failure. Failure is not leading us into reckless, lawless behavior. It's leading us into the reality that we need help. And we need it consistently. That's Paul's argument. The law of the Spirit then says, get connected. So the law of the Spirit says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you will and it will be given. Over and over, we have this discussion going on in Scripture. This this attempt on our part to take this on. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to get it light. And, And constantly then coming back to this place of no. I'm not supposed to get it right. I'm supposed to get connected to the one who empowers and leads and works things out. And so just at a real practical level is the little engine in you trying to get it right. 
instead of taking a deep breath and trying to get connected because we grow fruit. Righteousness is a fruit of being connected to God. It doesn't happen independent of that process. And the best way to grow righteousness, the fruit of the Spirit, love, peace, joy, faithfulness, all of those things, kindness, gentleness, self-control, they grow as fruit of the law of the Spirit, the life of the Spirit. Number two, the law of sin and death says be strong. There's an invitation to freedom over failure that's rooted in these ideas. I'm taught to be strong, taught to be self-sufficient. That's the law of sin and death. If you want to be exhausted, if you want to be worn down, if you want to keep living in a way that sucks the life out of you, keep listening to the little engine. Keep beating yourself up for everything that's gone wrong, for being less than, because you're not coping with COVID the way you think you ought to, because all your family is not functioning the way you think it ought to, that you ought to be a better this or a better that, a better dad, a better husband, a better father, a better mother, a a, a better housekeeper, a better whatever that all is. There is a sense in this that... You know, the law of sin and death says just keep beating yourself up for all of the ways you're falling short, for everything that's gone wrong. And so the law of the sin and flesh says be strong, but the law of the Spirit says be surrendered. Be surrendered. The hope of freedom that comes from the Spirit is to just surrender it all to God, to to just offer it over to Him to spend way less time trying to be strong and way more time trying to sit back, let it go, be surrendered, connect to the higher power, to the greater love, to the sufficient grace of God. Can you imagine how much energy might be freed up for actual life and love if we just said, you know what? I don't need to be so strong. I need to be surrendered. God, help me. Help me in this moment. And that leads us to number three. The law of sin and death says, find the answer. Find the answer. That if we analyze long enough, that if we turn it all over carefully enough, that if we spend day and night analyzing, eventually we're going to figure it out. We're going to get it all right. We're going to find all of the answers. It's going to resolve in a way where we're going to feel good about it. We're going to get it. We're going to understand it. So the law of death and sin and death says, find the answer. But the law of the Spirit says, follow me. Just follow me. Here's the thing. It seems to me that so often when we are where God wants us to be, it's not because we have some great insight into how it's all going to turn out. It's because God has revealed to us just this one thing, the next right step. And I wish God would show me the whole path. I wish he would resolve it all. I wish he would tell me how it's going to turn out, what it all means. Don't we do that? Isn't that the little engine? All the conspiracy theories, all the looking into what it all means and why it's happening and how it all fits into the theology and the biblical story of eschatology and all that stuff that's going on. Isn't there some truth in this? That God really says it's not for us to understand all of those details? That, in fact, what he says is that 
It'll, his word will be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. That, that he'll offer to us just the next right step. But the promise is if we take the next right step and then the next right step after that and the next right step after that, if we keep in this process of just following him, that he will get us to where we need to go, that the outcomes will become according to his will, and that our job is not to have all the answers, that in fact, that is the law of sin and death. It's wearing us out. It's stealing away our joy. And we are instead, by the law of the Spirit, invited to follow. Number four, the law of sin and death says choose well. Choose well. After we do all of our analysis and we get our choices out in front of us, we got to choose well. Choose right. Choose the right people to do life with. Choose the right job. Choose the right place to live. Choose right. Choose right. Choose right. Choose right. Don't mess up. Choose right. Don't make a mistake. Should I? Shouldn't I? Did I? Why did I? Choose right. But the law of the Spirit says choose who. The Spirit says you know, we're not trying to figure it all out and we're not trying to get it all right. That in fact, what we're doing is choosing the spirit to guide and inform us and teach us. And the promise is that as we choose the spirit, that he takes our bad choices along with our good choices and our bad circumstances along with our good circumstances. And he works them all together for this greater good. And so the law of the Spirit says, forget about choosing what. Choose who. And finally, number five, the law of sin and death says to be self-centered, to, to get it in here and figure it out and become this person that is spiritually deep and, and, and mature and uh, you know formidable and strong and all of those things that we become the center for all of the dreams and hopes and the pressures of life. And we keep searching inside of ourselves to find answers and understanding and the ability to cope and the ability to do, to move forward. If we continue to make ourselves the center, we're doomed. We're doomed to live a life in which fear and failure went out over freedom. But the law of the Spirit is to be God-centered, to look up, to have hope. Tell the little engine that could that you can't and you shouldn't, and there's nothing wrong with you for that. That instead, your hope is not in our own strength, but in God's strength. I'm not looking to myself to figure it out. I'm looking up. I don't have a hard time admitting this. I am the weakest link. I am the person that's struggling. I am the person that doesn't have it together. I want new insight and new truth and something that's bigger than me. I want the higher power. I, I, I need God to help me. I don't need my whole life to be centered on me and what I'm doing and how I'm coping and what I think and what my strength is. I have to trust God that he will give me the grace I need to go through the things that I am going through and will go through. And I can rest in that space. And I need to choose that hope. So just to review, the law of sin and death says, get it right. But the law of the Spirit says, get connected. The law of sin and death, number two, says, be strong. But the law of the Spirit says, be surrendered. 
The law of sin and death says, find the answer. But the law of the spirit says, follow me. The law of sin and death says, choose well. But the law of the spirit says, choose who? And finally, the law of sin and death says, be self-centered. But the law of the spirit says, be God-centered. So as we say goodbye to 2020 and we welcome ourselves into this new year of 2021, my prayer for you is that we would choose hope. And, And part of choosing hope is choosing freedom over failure. Would you, as we close and pray together in a moment, would you tell the little engine that could to be quiet? Would you tell that little thing in your brain that's always constantly probing you to say, I think I can, I think I can, I ought to be, I ought to be. What's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? Would you take a deep breath right here at 2020 and would you admit a few things? I don't think I can. I need the grace and the spirit of God to be manifest for his strength to be made perfect in my weakness. I need to glory in my weaknesses because when I am weak, when I become way less self-sufficient and more God-centered, that's when I'm strong. Would you say to that voice in you that keeps telling you you ought to be, to just say, I don't know what I ought to be. I, I just want to be what God wants me to be. I want to be surrendered to that. Grow me, God, like a child. I think I know but I know I really don't know. And maybe you're using all of this. In fact, I know you are because you've promised to in all things you're working for the good and the things that go well and the things that don't go well and whatever I ought to be, only you know, and I'm going to rest in that, that you're using all of this to create in me the perseverance and the endurance and the patience and to give birth to hope in the core of my soul. Things are not falling apart. We're simply being tried And we're becoming something. And hope is being born in us. And finally, when you hear that voice saying, what's wrong with me? Would you just say, you know what? There's nothing wrong with me. I'm simply being placed in the position of trusting God instead of trusting myself. Would you pray with me? God, I ask that as we close out 2020. First of all, we just want to say thank you for seeing us through to this point. Would you continue to be with families that are grieving and and with the situation in our politics and in our world and for so many who are suffering, we lift them up. We pray your intervention. We pray your healing of this pandemic. We pray that you would help each of us to be deeply concerned about the people around us and to care for them and love them in powerful ways. And as we open this new year of 2021, we want to be rooted in hope. Would you use all that has happened in this past year to grow in us depth and maturity and perseverance? Would you get us ready for what's coming next, for the mission you've called us to? Would you silence the voices in our head that are constantly telling us, I think I can, I ought to be, what's wrong with me? And would you instead let us right now choose freedom over failure? to just let go of all that we feel like we may have failed at in the last few weeks and months and to choose freedom in the spirit 
and maybe we failed miserably, but you even promised to use our failure in a way to bring us freedom. Would you remind us that we have nothing to fear in perfect love? And would you allow us to move as a family, as a congregation, as an extended family across all of the ways that we might connect virtually? Would you help us to move forward as the body of Christ into the mission and purpose you have for us? And may this year, 2021, be a year of great redemption, a year of great fulfillment, a year in which we see your hand manifest in many ways and we find ourselves strengthened with great depth and perseverance and rooted in hope. May it be so, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen and amen. God bless you all. Happy New Year. Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.